I'm Billy Hallowell, and welcome to the Inside Story brought to you by The Christian Post. Today, we are welcoming back Dr. Richard Land, executive editor of The Christian Post. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. So today we're going to dive into a tough topic, the Southern Baptist Convention's Sexual Abuse Task Force Report, which has been making a lot of headlines. You are in a unique position in that you were at the SBC as the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission head for you know, a long time, for, for years. And 20, 20, 25 years. I was, in the, I was on the fifth floor of the SBC um, headquarters building um, from 1988 to 2013. And so this is your spiritual home, and I know that obviously the Southern Baptist Convention is important to you. I want to start with the report. I know you read the entire thing. I mean, this is more than 200 pages. What was your initial reaction after finishing going through it? 285 pages. <laughs> wow. I, um, I read it Sunday night, and um, I was nauseous. By the time I finished reading it, I, I, I went into the bathroom and was nauseous. And I, 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 what came to my mind was Billy Graham sharing that when he read the Nixon tapes with all the profanity, and he realized that Richard Nixon was not who he thought he was, he went into the bathroom and was nauseous himself. And I, I can understand. That's exactly how I felt. You could relate to that, you know, after going through and reading all of that. What what was the most surprising thing to you in the entirety of that report, walking away from it, what struck you or disturbed you the most? The fact that um, we had a very small number of people um, who were either ignoring or downplaying or um, um, denigrating the complaints, um, the accounts of sexual abuse from people who were in positions of authority in, in Southern Baptist local churches, uh, pastors, staff members, um, volunteers, um, and it, and the and the controlling um, value being legal liability. Um, it was um, that that seemed to be to the exclusion of all else. And and uh, what went wrong? I I, you know, I can tell you what went wrong. Um, it was a failure of the trustee system. Southern Baptist Convention, as some of you know, some of your listeners will know, is totally um, horizontal in organization. There is no vertical structure whatsoever. Uh, each church decides who it's going to have as a member um, by vote. Each social, local association decides what churches are going to be members. Independent of that decision, each state convention decides which, which churches are going to be members. And independent of that decision, the state, the, the national convention makes a decision on which church can be members. And I know churches that are not members of the state convention, not members of the local association, but are members of the national convention. Um, the, the Southern Baptist Convention elects trustees to superintend the agencies. Um, at least one-third of the trustees have to be uh, laymen, and one-third have to be clergy. The, the military can be either one. Um, and, and you have to give the trustees the information if they're going to have the, uh, oversight. And evidently, this was kept closely guarded, um, only... Uh, a few senior staff at the executive committee and a few senior officers of the executive committee board knew of this, uh, of, of a list that was being kept of, of um, uh, sex abusers um, who uh, had, uh, who, who were connected to Southern Baptist churches and the number of people that were on it. Uh, I, I worked two floors below uh, the executive committee. I didn't know it for 25 years. I was there. I didn't know it. 
And evidently, a lot of the executive committee didn't know it. And I can't imagine that if um, the whole executive committee, uh, remember, at least one-third of which were laymen, had known about this, that they would have not uh, insisted that uh, it be made public and that we warned we warn churches uh, of these potential predators that could be in their midst. Yeah, and, and that seems to be the issue, what you just mapped out. You know, when information has not been shared, the system, you know, can't, can't work, right? If people don't know, then they can't actually step up to the plate and mandate that something right. be done. That's right. And, and, and you know, uh, when I, I, one of the greatest compliments I received during my 25-year tenure at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission is – my second uh, trustee meeting, I had a trustee I inherited from what well, had been a seminary, I had been a trustee for a seminary for seven years. And uh, he said, Dr. Land, I've gotten more information from you in one meeting about the ERLC and what the ERLC does than I did in seven years when I was in seminary. And I took, you know, to me, that, that's the way the system works. So, so let me let me ask you this because I, I think this is important. When we look at a situation like this and the impact that it can have, this has made headlines everywhere. Uh, but but the impact I'm thinking of is more inside the denomination. You know, what are your biggest worries or fears about how this could impact or change things, not just among you know individual Southern Baptists, but the institutions within the denomination. Well, um, I guess maybe the biggest surprise that I've had, um, and, and I've had a lot of response to my column in, in the uh, Christian Post, um, um, almost all of it positive from Southern Baptists, or people who identify themselves as Southern Baptists, uh, not all of it positive from people who are not Southern Baptists, who, um, who, um, who, who, who have accused me of sort of covering up. I'm not covering up. Um, we, we need to seriously consider all of the recommendations that have been made by the task force, and we need to do our very best to, to, do, to make certain that, that, um, that women and children are not abused um, by those who, who um, have authority within Southern Baptist churches, and that we do our best to um, minister to those who have been abused. Um, but I've had um, more than a dozen uh, friends uh, who are Southern Baptist pastors who have said to me, Richard, um, why should we stay in the convention and go through all this? Uh, we didn't have anything to do with it. Um, we don't want our, our, um, our giving the money we give to the denomination to be used um, to try to pay off lawyers fees. Uh, uh, why should we not just leave? And you see, what you understand is every Southern Baptist church can just vote to, to, to leave. They own their own property. Uh, they, um, they, they ordain their own ministers. Um, they call their own pastors, independent of anything the Southern Baptist Convention can say or do. And um, they decide by vote of the congregation how much money they're going to give each year to the denomination's causes. I mean, they are truly independent. And, uh, and, and, and so um, they're asking me, why should you stay? Well, my answer, of course, is stewardship. Um, we, we have, uh, since 1845, been building up um, seminaries. Um, seven of the ten largest seminaries in North America uh, are Southern Baptists. Seven of the ten. Um, we, we have uh, 7,000 missionaries on the mission fields overseas. We have uh, thousands of missionaries, home missionaries, being supported by the denomination. Um, you know, if you leave, who's going to train your pastors? Uh, 
where are you going? Who's going to send out your missionaries to train them? Uh, it, it seems to me that that would be a very short-sighted move on their part. But uh, the fact that they were asking me the question shocked me and concerns me. Well, and it is. Other, yeah, it, it is and concerning. If, and, if, and if the denomination were to say, "Well, we're going to come in and we're going to we're going to investigate your church," <laughs> I mean, within within twenty four hours, that church would leave. And you know, um, we got you know, First Baptist Church Dallas, uh, uh, First Baptist Church Atlanta. They don't need the convention. They, they 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 stay in the convention as an act of filial piety. But if the convention starts giving them giving them grief, they just leave. So, you know, it's it's interesting because you saying that, I know a lot of people, you know, I come from a non-denominational background, and so a lot of people will say, well, denominations, you know, or organizations are always going to protect themselves first, right? But what you just detailed... Well, not not always, not always. I mean, it's... it's um, I think, you know, first of all, remember, probably 25% of the executive committee are women. Hmm. Now, I guarantee you, if the women had known about this, they would have insisted that uh, we go public. And see, that's interesting. And that critique, by the way, is not necessarily me saying that, you know, of, oh, organizations are going to always defend themselves, right? But but this is a more complicated situation in that you just described that horizontal. You know, I think the assumption is any denomination is going to be you know, top down, you know, very heavy on every no, church. No. And, and that's not the case. That's not the case here, it sounds like. No, um, it's unique. it is unique. Southern Baptists are unique. The, the, the way the convention is organized is unique. Um, but we believe it's New Testament, that, um, that um, the local church uh, is, is um, um, self-governing, and, and they decide for themselves. Now, they can do things that will cause the Southern Baptist Convention to kick them out. Uh, when, when, when we had some Southern Baptist churches in Virginia and North Carolina who were affirming the homosexual lifestyle and performing um, ceremonies for homosexual couples in the 1990s, we changed our, our constitution and bylaws and said that any church that affirms the homosexual lifestyle is by definition no longer a Southern Baptist church. And we removed them from fellowship. And if they send us checks, we send them back. Wow. Well, okay. So, so let me, let me pivot here a little bit to the outside world, because obviously the inside world reacting, those within the denomination, when these things happen, and, and I actually want you to speak to believers here, because I think when these things happen, a lot of atheists or people who are skeptical on the outside, they say, look, see, the religious people are no better. These institutions are terrible. And these, you know, they, they have all these generalizations that they then will go to believers with. How do you respond to that sort of thing? How can you help people respond to those sorts of painful critiques that come? Well, first of all, um, I would say that um, every, every indicator that we have tells us that there is less, much less, uh, sexual abuse of women and children within Southern Baptist life than there is in American life in general. So, uh, and secondly, uh, you know, we carry the gospel in earthen vessels. Um, we're fallen, sinful creatures. You're going to find uh, hypocrisy in, among um, Christians. You're going to find um, um, inconsistency among Christians. But you're not going to find any inconsistency or hypocrisy or imperfection in Jesus. And Jesus is the one we follow. Mm. And Jesus is our hope. And we're doing our best to try to follow Jesus. And uh, we're, we're always going to... Uh, 
failed to be completely consistent in that because we still are fallen creatures with sin natures. We're human beings. So, and yeah, we're human beings. I have, a, I have a mug here that my daughter, my oldest daughter gave me. It says, be the person your dog thinks you are. Um, <laughs> That's actually a great tagline. <laughs> we're, all, we're, all, we're all trying to be the, the person our, our dogs think we are, but none of us are. That's a great, that's great. I mean, you know, the, the last thing I'll say to you here, and I know this is a loaded question, but I want to, I want to allow you to kind of close out on, on this and it may be a longer answer, which is fine, but where does the SBC go from here? Because right now this is massive, you know, explosion of information and people are processing it. How does the denomination move forward in the right direction? Well, now you, you asked a different question when you put that word right there. Um, you know, I'm not a prophet. I do not know how they're going to react. Um, I do not know uh, how many people, how many churches are going to take the temptation to leave. Uh, I know what I think the right reaction should be. It should be um, confession. It should be repentance. Uh, it should be uh, what can we do to make sure this never happens again, that there's never any kind of, of cover-up. And, and, and that, you know, uh, as I say in my column, um, sometimes there's a great difference between what is the correct legal decision and what is the correct moral decision. And we need to always make the correct moral decision as Christians. Um, we need to put protections in place, uh, reporting in place. Um, the task force has recommended um, some permanent staffing, which I have suggested should be women in these places, credentials. Qualified women, I think that um, those who have been sexually abused, um, and, and evidently um, the, the majority of them uh, are um, women and children, uh, girls, a lot of a lot of teenage girls uh, and and children. Um, they're they're going to be more comfortable uh, reporting to uh, and, and having discussions with women than they are men, since the men are the abusers. Mm. And do you, I mean, as you sort of, as we close out here, you know, what's your biggest, what's your biggest prayer for those who have to make these decisions right now? Because that's the, the challenging part when you have this much scrutiny and information coming out, you want to do the right thing. What should people be praying for at this moment for those leaders? Um, for discernment, for courage, um, all people who come forward and, and, and say that they've been abused should be heard. That does not mean they should automatically be believed. Um, the devil can use that uh, against godly men. Um, I think that we need to investigate. And, and anyone who is credibly accused of, of sexual abuse needs to, the, the commission needs to do everything they can to make sure that all the churches know of this person so they do not, they do not call them unwittingly and allow them to pray on the people in their church. Uh, I think we need to have um, um, uh, we need to put together a list of best practices um, for churches to guide them. Uh, what do you do if someone comes and tells you that they've been sexually abused? Um, and at the top of that list should be you call the police. Um, in some states, that's what you're required to do. That's what, I, I, that's what I've done. Um, in, in pastoral situations when I've, in, when I've been pastor or interim pastor, if, some, if a person comes to me and tells me they've been sexually abused, I'm calling the police. And I'm going to let the police investigate. That's my responsibility. 
and I'm going to do what I can to separate that person from uh, doing any future harm. And if it's a spouse, um, I'm going to do what I can to, to get separate uh, housing for that, that spouse so she's no longer sexually abused or physically abused. Well, I appreciate you taking us through this. I know it's incredibly personal to you, and I know that it's incredibly important to you that this is addressed, that this is discussed. Are there any other final um, pieces that maybe we didn't hit on that you wanted to mention or talk about before we close here? Yes. Uh, if there's anyone who's listening who has been the victim of sexual abuse in a Southern Baptist context, please um, uh, contact that hotline. Uh, you go to the SBC website. Um, website and there's a hotline to, to, to report it. Um, and if you're not a Southern Baptist, report it to somebody, report it to somebody, uh, get help. Um, um, no one has the right to, um, sexually abuse you period. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Land, I so appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on the show and breaking this down. Well, I wish you could have been on a more pleasant subject, but, um, you know, it's something we, we we're well past should should have dealt with. Now, one one thing they did suggest uh, at the end of their task force report that I, I did take issue with, they said that we should put up a permanent memorial to the abuse victims at the SBC um, offices. I'm not opposed to that. But before we do that, we've got to go back and put up a memorial to um, the millions of African Americans that were abused by the convention. The convention, sadly, was born in slavery. Uh, in 1845, it separated from the Northerners uh, over the issue of um, of uh, commissioning a slave owner as a as a missionary to um, American Native Americans, and then um, uh, we supported largely we supported Jim Crow and segregation up to um, Dr. King, and, and praise God for Dr. King, he liberated a lot of people from prejudices that uh, uh, were compromising the gospel. And um, now, the Southern Baptist Convention is the most ethnically diverse denomination in the country, which is amazing, considering that it was a virtually all-white denomination in 1960. That's, that is an incredible note there, too, and another piece of this you know, ever-evolving puzzle in this scenario, which, as you said— this is not, it's not a pleasant or a happy topic, but it's one that we need to talk about. And I also want to make sure people check out your article over on the Christian Post. You wrote an amazing op-ed. It's called Southern Baptist, Where Do We Go From Here? We will also link that in the show notes here so people can read that. Dr. Land, I really appreciate your time today. Well, I appreciate you um, having a conversation with me and appreciate your listeners taking time to listen. Absolutely. And, and everyone else listening, make sure you tune in next weekend for another episode of The Inside Story, a podcast brought to you by The Christian Post. You can listen to the show over on Edify. It's E-D-I-F-I. You can download the podcast app and hear this show as well as thousands of other Christian podcasts. We will see you again next week. Next week.